welcome to a grad chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's A Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs, as well as CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CFRC Podcast. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, though, I would like to welcome back Katie Marie McNeil, who has just defended her PhD in history under the supervision of Drs. Karen Dubinsky and Jeff Bryson. Welcome back to Grad Chat, Katie Marie. Hi, thanks for having me again. <laughs> again, you had no choice really, did you? <laughs> kind of roped her in. <laughs> but you know what? I, I know we've got lots to talk about, so it's all going to going to go down very well. Now, last week, of course, we talked to Katie Marie about her research, which was titled Prisoner Aid Beyond Borders, a transnational history of prisoner aid societies in Canada, Australia, New Zealand and the United States from 1930 to 1970. Now, of course, if you missed last week, as mentioned in my opening, you can download the podcast of the interview, which is available now. So you might want a bit of a recap. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, we learned lots about the prison system in those four countries and how, you know, there's some of the similarities and things that went on and some of the unique things that they're doing there to help with the prisoner aid societies. This week, however... I wanted to talk to Katie Marie about some of the other things she did while being a grad student and maybe also as an undergrad here. And as you know, from time to time, I do like to ask students, what else have they been doing? Because it's, when you come to school, it's, it's not just about doing your degree. There's so many other things that go on around campus that students can get involved in if they've got the time, of course, and sometimes you have to be quite strategic because there are so many unique things that are happening that you may want to participate in. So firstly, though, why did you choose Queen's to do your, it was your Bachelor of Education, you didn't yes. do your Bachelor's, that was at Trent, your Bachelor of Education, your Master's in Education mm -hmm. and your PhD in History. Why did you choose to do all those at Queen's? So for the Bachelor of Education, I was a part of a program of the Queen's Trent Concurrent Education Program, which is now defunct. But at the time, Queen's had agreements, the Faculty of Education at Queen's had agreements with a few other different universities right. where you could do your undergrad uh, with a guaranteed acceptance into Teachers College at the end. Okay. So this there was a partnership between Queen's and Trent where I took education courses every year, just a handful, and did some classroom practicums throughout my undergrad in Peterborough. And then when I came here for Teacher's College, I was in the classroom and did the same program that everyone else in, in that year of Teacher's College just did. one year? It was, So you yes. did three years at Trent and then a fourth year at Queen's, or four years at Trent and one at Queen's? Four years at Trent and then right. one year at Queen's, yes. I was quite fortunate. I was the part of the last cohort that was uh, the ah. one-year Teacher's College before it switched to a two-year program. So right. that was quite nice. <laughs> Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so that's what brought me to Queen's originally was Teachers College. And then once I finished Teachers College, that was 
oh, almost a decade ago now. Uh, wow, that's scary. <laughs> the job market was very different for teachers at the time. Uh, so that's because oh, I was going to ask you, why didn't you go into teaching? Yes, once you did that? yes. So it was, I wasn't sure if I wanted to teach at the high school level, an Ontario certified teacher in history and geography with the senior level grades. So I'm can teach grade 7 to 12 but I wasn't sure if I if I wanted to go that route and then the job market kind of made the decision for me Mm -hmm. it was extremely difficult to get on the supply list which is what you have to do first before you can land a permanent position as a teacher in Ontario and the only people I knew who got full-time employment were those who were willing to move abroad and yes and that wasn't something that I was interested in so I started looking for alternate (laughs) alternate (laughs) plans and that's where the master's of education started. One of my professors who ended up supervising my master's, Professor Ted Christou, was an excellent instructor in the Bachelor of Education program, and he was really passionate about the history of education, and we started talking, and that's how I kind of found my way into a master's program. (laughs) And the rest is history, as they say, excuse the pun. (laughs) It's interesting how job markets can change. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're seeing an influx right now with with, us. universities taking on more or if they're allowed more positions for nursing and Mm -hmm, things like mm -hmm. that because of what's required out there would you ever go back to teaching I I did actually a little bit last year Um, so the job market has changed dramatically since I first graduated and now school boards are desperate for teachers of all types. ironic isn't it it is yes so I worked as a supply teacher last year in the final year of my dissertation um, because it offered some flexibility right and it pays quite well (laughs) yes exactly yes (laughs) so it was a helpful way to boost funding because I was outside of the funding window at Queen's so it was a way to help yeah earn some extra money to finish off the last bit of my degree so now now you've got that requirement if you wanted to go back to teaching not saying you have to but. yeah no I guess every board has a slightly different process but usually you start off as a supply teacher mm-hmm. and then you transition to a long-term occasional or an LTO which is covering a, usually someone's sick leave or a parental leave right. and then you transition to the bottom of the permanent list and right. then Eventually you settle somewhere. Sometimes having those, you know, fill-in positions are actually quite handy because it still allows you to do other things, doesn't it? Yes, they're quite flexible, yeah. Mm -hmm. So with with supply teaching, if you're going on a day-to-day basis, you can choose your availability. Like if you're like on Tuesdays, I have something else. You can just block that off and they won't call you. So it is quite a handy job for, especially for grad students. I mean, not to pitch for anybody, but I know that they are, (laughs) I know both the Catholic and public school board are looking for, uh, emergency supply teachers so even if you don't have your teaching degree if you are an adult and you have a police check and you like education you like working with kids (laughs) you might make it onto their emergency supply list yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) well that's that's perfect it's it's nice to have one of those jobs that can be so flexible Mm -hmm. yeah or career or skill set Mm -hmm. that can be can be so flexible so in your undergrad, there are so many clubs and societies and opportunities to volunteer or work. What did you do during that time and why do you think it was important to participate in them for your own growth? Assuming you did, but maybe you didn't <laughs> <laughs> because it seems like you might have been quite busy anyway. And of course, you did your bachelor's at Trent. You only had the one year here at mm-hmm. Queen's. I did at, at Trent, I did quite a bit of uh, quite a few different things. Um, student government. Um, I right. worked 
and student affairs in the summertime. Uh, during the Bachelor of Education here, I didn't have time to do much. There was a lot of classroom practicum, so a lot uh, of the time I was yeah, yeah. So I didn't do too much then. I kind of took a break, which was was nice just to focus on teaching. Good point. So I know I'm going to go back to Trent, even though it's not Queens. Was the one particular extracurricular you did that you really enjoyed? I would say at Trent, my favorite was working in the summers, doing new student orientation. So I worked part-time a few summers and then full-time when I transitioned from graduation to teacher's college. So I I helped run the programming that would welcome new students and their supporters, family members, whoever, to come to campus. We ran an overnight camp for incoming undergrads and kind of got them acquainted with one another. And then we also did things like course registration workshops and um, once again, this was a while ago, so <laughs> it was. Uh, we were a little less digital, so helping right. people register for courses on site when they'd come for their first day. Right. Um, so that was so a lot of fun. It's interesting though, because I mean, I know we're going to find out more about what you've done during your grad, but there's a lot of things you've done there that you can transfer those skills to other areas moving forward. Yes. Yeah. I, I would. I would think so. It was a lot of public speaking. You know, I got comfortable mm-hmm. speaking to like a lecture hall full of incoming first-year students and their parents, learning how to direct people to resources Mm -hmm. and and quickly figuring out what kind of a university landscape of services looks like and then knowing how to direct people appropriately. That's quite handy. So you know the undergrad (laughs) sector. Now let's let's, uh, check out what you've done in your grad sector. So during your master's, which was on an education in the women prison systems, were you able to do any extracurriculars during that time? And was this more to help your research or other reasons? <laughs> I did a bit of both. I did some volunteering in the Kingston community related to incarceration, which I learned a lot from and it was quite helpful. Was that with the Elizabeth Fry group or another It was, group? yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was involved with them and I made some really great friends um, as well (laughs) from that as well which was quite nice we're still in contact with those folks and then at Queen's I got involved a little bit in the faculty of education with the Rosa Bruna Joffre symposium in education yes yes which is yeah it's a great student-run conference Um, they usually bring in some excellent keynote speakers and it's a very supportive environment especially for like first-year master's students to kind of test their ideas out and get some feedback on so what they're working on. So did you present or were you just helping on the logistics side? Uh, a bit of both, bit yeah. Of both. So I, I presented early on and got some great feedback and then I helped set up the catering and right. I think we called it food and environment, but something like that. <laughs> Room bookings and catering. That and sounds so yes. much nicer, doesn't it? So go and book some food for exactly. us all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and while you're at it, try and find us a venue, please. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, oh, so you got it all down pat. There's no problem there at all. <laughs> And then during your doctorate degree, of course, COVID-19 stopped a lot of extracurriculars. Mm -hmm. But was there anything you did during COVID that helped your development or career aspirations? I think there were some things during COVID that I wouldn't have got to do otherwise. There were some really great speakers who turned their events uh, virtual or and some other departments, history departments, education departments across the country who opened up some of their annual events, which are usually held in person, to virtual community. So I was able to see Eve Tuck, who's a fabulous thinker from the University of Toronto speak on some of her work, which I wouldn't have got, I wouldn't have traveled to Toronto to see her otherwise. And then I also got to see the historian, British historian, Catherine Hall. And 
she's incredible. So it was it was quite wonderful to get to see her give a lecture, which I wouldn't have otherwise. And yeah. I think even her giving the lecture, I don't know if she would have come to Canada for that right. in the first place. So everything being virtual, I think, I can't remember. It was another Ontario-based university was able to host her as a keynote for one of their annual lecture series. So seeing some really groundbreaking scholarship was something that I was, it was, I mean, it wasn't always great sitting in your room at home on Zoom, but (laughs) (laughs) getting to see these scholars who I wouldn't otherwise get to get to see was something that I enjoyed a lot from. That's one of the the interesting things with, with COVID. Yes, everything was online, but we were able to, as you said, reach people Mm -hmm. that ordinarily we wouldn't have a chance to because of the cost of travel yes yes either way whether you're going to them or them coming coming to us and I think personally with conferences and things I don't like doing it online Mm -hmm. because I get distracted yes very easily it's very easy just turn your camera off and (laughs) go and get yourself a cup of tea and Mm -hmm. you've probably missed something really important so I actually prefer the in-person, but I totally understand, particularly as a grad student, it's not always possible mm-hmm. to, I mean, there are some travel firms, but it only goes so far to be able to attend conferences. And this is a way of getting there, still learning a lot about whatever fields is being taught or whatever the mm-hmm. theme is. It does miss the networking part, though. It does, yeah. I, I, I didn't present at any conferences when we were online, but... I attended a few to watch, you know, my mm-hmm. friends present and things like that. And yeah, the the chats in the hallway or the the question period were very different. It, it was it was different. So yeah. I did miss in person conferences, but I was very happy that a lot of these big lectures were opened up. And I'm happy to see now too that we've kept some of that. I think yes. we've kind of learned some of the technological lessons. That's maybe some academic associations were a little afraid Mm -hmm. about doing hybrid sessions or virtual sessions at their in-person conferences and now I think that is a much more feasible option. And I think even just for guest speakers Mm -hmm. not necessarily in a conference for but guest speakers more universities are opening up because they're online to universities across the country Mm -hmm. so you can still join in which again not everyone can afford to bring someone in, but let's open it up to the whole country, which is like, um, I think you, didn't you participate in the Graduate and Postdoctoral Development Network career? Yes, I did that as well. Career that was week? great during, it was all virtual during COVID as well, mm-hmm. but I think Queen's, Queen sponsored the spots, yes, right? So I was, I was able I was to go. I was on the committee. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we made sure we sponsored it, yes. so, which allowed our students students and postdocs to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And that was, it was, once again, it was great. It was online sessions. I think they had pivoted quite well to a virtual presentation style, but getting to just learn about different career options in mm-hmm both academic and non-academic avenues and and thinking about how to kind of plan towards the end of the degree because that when that session was online that was more towards the end of my degree so I was trying to think about what's next exactly Mm -hmm. so that was quite helpful and yeah I think I think I remember there were almost six or seven hundred people on the call correct and then following year we had even more I mean each year it's got better yeah yeah. and we're, we're going to be doing it again this year and actually registration is open right now yes, it is. <laughs> for it but what is again what is nice is about that it's a collaboration amongst universities mm-hmm. across Canada some some universities are very small don't have a lot of money so this is a way that there's for a couple hundred dollars their students mm-hmm. which is nothing when you're putting on something like this their students can have access to something as well and I think 
I'm not sure if they're doing it this year, but one time we had, I remember in the beginning, we had a little Facebook group too, so you could chat amongst each other after. Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're still doing that, but that yeah. was, that's a way of the networking mm-hmm. side, which was, which is good. Yeah, and I think they, they've done things like little Zoom rooms and things that they encourage people yes. to talk, but it can be awkward. <laughs> it, can, it can be awkward when you don't know people, yes. you haven't actually met them. Exactly. No, I think there were some good good presentations that generated a lot of thinking for people and they were very practical that was what I appreciated too about the GPTN Mm -hmm. sessions is that they gave you pretty clear steps it was less less abstract (laughs) I know I've I learn a lot from each of those and from my colleagues Mm -hmm. because often it's my colleagues that are presenting a lot of these things and they do bring in sort of keynotes Uh, I myself can learn a lot of what what else could we be doing to Mm. sort of help our students here etc so uh, you know some schools are very, very good at this. They have whole departments and others are a bit of a mixture. So it's nice to learn from my colleagues as well. Now, I know there's some other things you've done before you defended. And the one I would really like to highlight the most right now is you were part of the Queen's Doctoral Internship for University Administration, which is a, a, a new thing. It's, I think we're only year three or year three of that Uh, we just opened up for that one why did you want to do this who did you intern with what projects were you given (laughs) and what did you learn from this opportunity even though I know all those answers (laughs) (laughs) so when I saw this program I applied during the very first year of it I thought it was it sounded excellent it was a chance to work as an intern, but in an administrative Mm -hmm. capacity instead of a research or teaching capacity, which was something I was looking for. I was quite interested because I, 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 as much as I love research and teaching at the post-secondary level, I know once again, what the job market looks like. So I heavily considered a career in administration as something that would be of interest. So still being connected to the post-secondary world, but in a different way. So when the QDIUA program opened up, I was very excited to try and participate. And I applied for a few different positions. And I ended up interning with the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral <laughs> Affairs. And we were very lucky to have you. Because <laughs> we don't get to choose. No, <laughs> yes, it's all chose for it's us. a ranking process. Yes. So you interview who you would like, and then both student applicants and employers rank and then they do a matching process so that everyone kind of gets the best option um, from all of their choices. So I was quite lucky that I ended up with SGSPA (laughs) and I worked with Associate Dean Krista Luca and Heather Merla who is a special projects officer in the School of Graduate Studies and I worked on a project to help develop a course or a small module for incoming faculty to get them up to speed on the new graduate supervision policy. So a new policy on supervision was approved last year or two years ago now. Two years ago now. Mm -hmm. And it really focused on mutual respect and understanding and a few other key points. And I helped uh, with Chris and Heather develop a course that would help new faculty understand all of these points, but also keep in mind their tenure file. So we tried to keep all of the assessments and activities within the course based on what they would need to put in their application for tenure promotion. So trying to keep it really practical for Mm -hmm. incoming faculty, knowing that they have a lot of things to go through as they get orientated to Queens and then trying to um, help them in the future when they have to apply for tenure. So it must have been, you know, it was, I hate to say this, but well, not really hate to say, I really enjoy saying it. It's very smart of us to bring in a a current grad student (laughs) 
to work on that project because mm-hmm. you know you're working with a supervisor yourself yes in fact you're working with two yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um so you have insights on what that relationship should mm-hmm. be for the benefit of both sides one is the you know what's the benefit for the faculty mm-hmm. and what and what are their responsibilities and again for you what's important for you so you can get your degree but also learn along the way, et cetera, and keep on track and all those sorts of things. So it was very smart to bring in, you know, so we have the professor, mm-hmm. Dr. DeLuca. We've got Heather, who has been out of, she did her PhD here in art history and finished a few years ago. So not that she's that far out, but things have been changing a lot. Mm-hmm. COVID is one thing. So she's got her perspective, so Dr. Merler, and then now yourself, that stage you were nearing the end, mm-hmm. and so you knew from a master's and a PhD, <laughs> what worked for you and what were you expecting that supervisor to do? Yeah, it was it was helpful. As you said, I was at the end, so I was able to do a lot of reflection mm-hmm. on like what had my supervisors done really well to help me and like what could I have done better in certain places or things like that to try Mm -hmm. and build that in and then of course we did a literature review and an environmental scan of what other universities were doing doing across Canada but also in the Matariki network and some of our other Queen's Others partners so are we doing okay I think so yeah I think so the new policy really focuses on mutual respect and like a mutual development of Mm -hmm. supervision process Um, it's very co-developed and co-created it's not top down from supervisor to student hopefully that's what happens but I know every every supervisor and supervisee every grad student are going to have a different relationship or you know and some things work some strategies work for some people that don't work for others so everyone has to kind of find their own fit right right but be able to speak up and be confident to speak up and exactly yeah to make both sides have to make it work exactly yeah to make it good well that would have been a great project and and thank you for being a part of that (laughs) because we needed it (laughs) you know it's it's great having a policy but if people don't know how to sort of make that work Mm -hmm. uh, so this was a good step and I'm glad we're still doing more on the the supervision side of things as it's integral to our students development Mm -hmm. and progress Another area you worked in was with career services as a resume coach. How was that? Did you find it daunting to work with undergrads or grads on their resumes, (laughs) particularly your grads because they're your peers? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, so the resume coach program is a program that trains student volunteers, both undergrads and grads, to offer resume, cover letter, and CV reviews Mm -hmm. with other students of all degree types and disciplines. And within that, it's it's really fun. You get to work a few times a week in the career services office, and then student, students can book an appointment with you. They bring in their documents, and you have a conversation, and you go through some skills and some, some different kind of tools and guidelines that career services has about how to strengthen resumes, cover letters, and CVs. So with that, it was it could be daunting sometimes. I mean, I worked with people who were much, much more senior than I was during my PhD. So I might have been in my first year and there's someone who's applying, you know, to like tenure track jobs or to post-grad stuff. And some of the incredible, seeing some of the incredible experiences that people have can be daunting. But at the same time, they're there to have a conversation about what stands out or what what Mm -hmm. they want to highlight, what skills they want to really come across. And you're trying to help them bring those out. How, how did you do that? Because there's a, there's a difference between a resume and a CV, right? Mm-hmm. So resume is going out in my, this is my opinion, maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> I don't know. But it's it's for any sort of job that you're looking for. You, you, you've got everything down and you tailor it according to the yes. job. 
Whereas a CV is more on the academic side of mm-hmm. things, of like you said, wanting to become a teacher, a professor, a researcher, etc., and stay in the academic uh, in the academic world. That's a little bit different to what career services is because they're mm-hmm. very good on the jobs, etc. I'm not saying they're not good on the yes, other, yeah. but it is a it is a different talent, particularly if you haven't been through that process yourself. Although everything can be learned, did you find that part of the distinction? When people were coming in, what were they looking for? More of a resume or more of a CV? Usually more of a resume on the whole. There were a few folks looking for CV support. And in that, it was usually some of the same lessons from building a strong resume applied, but slightly differently. So thinking about how to describe experiences on your CV. So what is, first of all, starting with what's the standard in your discipline? Like Mm -hmm. what what do CVs look like in your discipline? What are some of the norms that you would expect and then within those norms how can you highlight what experiences you want to highlight most of all so if you're applying to a researcher position where are we going to put your publications and your funding right we're going to put that right up front top if this is teaching position you know we might move your some of your teaching experience higher so 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 things like the teaching dossier from that you learn through ctl yeah (laughs) teaching and learning that comes in there yes i wouldn't i would not touch a teaching dossier as a resume coach no way (laughs) (laughs) but things like how you describe um teaching on a resume like are you just listing course titles you know if someone says puts hist 124 on their cv that doesn't mean anything. it means nothing to someone outside of queens right so trying to make sure that you're putting the right information and you know giving a little bit of quantifiable information too to give someone who's scanning your CV a quick idea. Is this a lecture course? Is this 300 students? Is this a seminar with 15 students? You know, giving people those kinds of details, which sometimes you don't. You just put your course code or you just put whatever. So trying to, and then also basing it on where someone would be in their academic career. So if someone is, you know, starting off their PhD, their CV is going to look different than someone who's towards the end of their degree and applying for faculty positions. So trying to just balance those different things. And career services trained you for this position, right? Which is one of the the beauties. I mean, career services does this a lot. And the same with actually Centre for Teaching and Learning. They train current grad students for these particular roles which again gives you some great skills to take away with Mm -hmm. yes no it's a it's a wonderful training program it gets you really good at active listening it also you know helps you improve your own resumes and cover letters because you learn all of these skills you learn the host of resources that Mm -hmm. career services offers and then you know, you apply to your own documents and your own thinking about careers. Uh, And it's also nice um, because it's a team of both grad students and undergrads. I I got to meet a lot of undergrad students who I would not interact with in any other way. You know, they're from health sciences, they're from engineering, places that I would not go as a humanities PhD student. So So it was nice in that way to get to see what their concerns were. And I think it also helped with my own graduate teaching, Mm -hmm. seeing what, you know, current undergrads we're looking we're, for we're looking for what they were dealing with you know the ebbs and flows of the semester when they'd all get really stressed out I would be like okay if my peers are stressed out I bet you my students are stressed out about <laughs> right right so it helped my teaching as well that way oh that's really yeah you can each thing we can learn so much can't we which is brilliant and then you've also worked with the faculty side of things too if I've understood this correctly you have been an inst- instructional support assistant in the department of history so what does that entail yes yeah, so that was during COVID during the I guess the fall of summer and fall of 2021 so yeah so after we had kind of had the emergency 
spring 2020 oh, yeah. on yeah. campus like, off campus shut down, yes we've and got to keep working <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> so we were preparing for term back on campus but knowing that we'd still be under covid restrictions mm -hmm. so within that position i was paired up with a few different faculty members who were going to be transitioning their in-person courses to online so with that it was just a lot of on cue support right as well as some like pedagogical support some i was someone who could listen and they could bounce ideas off of, of like how to translate an in-person assignment to a virtual world and, right. and think about what what's that might look like and build some assessments for students as well because I know at least some of the faculty members I worked with would spend a lot of time in class discussing expectations and you know like what this essay or what this final project will look like they would do that in lecture and they wanted to make sure that that would translate well to the online world so we spent a lot of time developing assessment and kind of right. rubrics and things like that so that students could log into OnQ on the first day and then see the assessment quite clearly without all of that lecture explanation. Um, so yeah, that was fun. So you've <laughs> been working with all levels. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> see, that education has worked. Yes. It's all work. <laughs> now, part of doing your research is to get your work out there to not only to your peers in the field, but more broadly... Now, you mentioned you were, you've been a part of a couple of conferences, but what opportunities did you take to spread the word of your research, whether orally or in written form? So I did, yeah. Have you had a chance to, put it that way, because you've been doing so many other things? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did present quite a bit in person before, before COVID at mostly national conferences, so right. mostly Canadian-based ones with one international conference in there, and... I did grad chat back in my master's, you so did. that was one way to share my research <laughs> a little bit farther. And I found conferences were the main way. There were a few, some smaller pub, like publications and things like that, right. which are a more traditional way to right. transmit research. But I, yeah, I would say I did mostly conventional conferences publishing mm -hmm. with a few Queens-based things. Did you take any of the, like, the presentation workshops? I know uh, Student Academic Success Services runs presentation workshops. We've run presentation workshops or media workshops. Did you get involved in any of those to sort of help you in different areas? Yes, definitely. I took pretty – I think I've taken most of the Expanding Horizons <laughs> <laughs> workshop suite over my time Good here. Good answer. <laughs> Good answer. So I definitely – yes, I definitely took anything – related to presentations and um, when I was first becoming a graduate student the faculty of education also held quite a few mm -hmm. little workshops and kind of tutorials on how to present especially around that Rosa Bruna Joffre symposium right. in education so when I was a first year master's student they offered mostly offered by senior grad students but some really great presentations on how to prepare yourself for kind of your first conference or your first educational presentation <laughs> which is good so you know what advice would you give a grad or an undergrad going through their studies in terms of what things to look out for in, for their own development? So you know, I, I guess there's two parts to that. What can they look out for to help them in their degree, so to get do better in their degree, and what about for their own personal development? What would you suggest? Mm -hmm. Queen's is very fortunate to have a variety of resources both to help you academically like in your degree but also personally or professionally I would say the first step I think is just kind of learning what's out there right. so I, I would talk to your 
graduate assistant or your undergraduate assistant there. They usually have a wealth of knowledge about different programs at Queen's. And then check out some of the different services, like the more central services, like career services, like SGSPA, like student academic success services. There's a whole staff of people who just want to help you. (laughs) So I think starting, starting there and then trying out what you like and seeing what interests you and then from there you I think you can tailor a little bit more I think of course you have to there's a lot of different demands you have to balance between academics your own personal wellness and then extracurriculars what you want to do so I think starting out and just kind of testing the waters trying out a few different workshops Mm -hmm. here and there that are low commitment you know hour and a half long workshops see if you like it and then you can build towards longer commitments or a of things that are more of value to you. So I I think it's about being strategic about picking what you enjoy the most, what you get a lot from, I guess like what fills your cup, (laughs) those kind of things versus just trying to do everything. Um, Well, that's basically what you've done, haven't you? Because if you think about some of the things you mentioned today on the educational side, you did some of those um, special sessions, whatever they were called, <laughs> the teaching. <laughs> You've done work with career services. That's given you an idea of that. You, you worked on the QDRUA, mm-hmm. the administrative internship here thing, which has given you, as you said, you were looking for not necessarily going it to be a teacher, mm-hmm. but more perhaps stay in academia, but in an administrative role. So you've been quite selective yeah. along the way. <laughs> of what you've put your hand up to do I've tried to be yeah I really what I learned about teaching was that I really enjoy supporting students Mm -hmm. whether that's you know at the high school level or at the post towards Mm -hmm. the post-secondary level so I geared my work towards or my my extracurricular work towards ways I could support students so trying out different support roles and things like that and because uh, I find those very rewarding because yeah, um, like you said it doesn't have to be teaching you can support exactly. students yeah. without it being teaching yeah so trying to find different ways to support students and their development and I, I really enjoyed like for example the resume coaching it's was all the best parts of teaching boiled down into a half hour session where you get to you know pump somebody's confidence up give them a few new skills and then like right. see them leave happier and right. feel more confident about their job application process which well, is that's why I love my job because yeah. I get to see the happy side right well, so... hopefully. <laughs> yeah so that was a great experience that really you know boiled it down into little half hour increments instead of you know being a high school teacher for a whole semester and hoping that someone <laughs> at the end of the day they're happy <laughs> and then they pass the course here yes. you just get to work with someone meet them quickly right work on one small goal and then see them leave right which is uh, in a better spot yeah and so now you're the interim postdoctoral coordinator at yes. the SGSPA so how did that come about and what do you think you will learn from this experience to <laughs> add to all the other bits and pieces that you've learned so this came about as the permanent postdoctoral coordinator was uh, she's away on secondment so I'm covering her role while she's covering elsewhere for someone else (laughs) (laughs) we do a lot of that at Queen's I'm covering for this one who's covering for this who's covering for that (laughs) (laughs) and I'm I think I'm gonna learn a lot about uh, university administration and and um, kind of university structure Mm -hmm. more broadly as well as learning a lot more about tri-council Right. Funding and other uh, federal and provincial funding structures. I think I'm going to learn a lot about that. Yeah, because postdocs are a unique little group because they're not faculty and they're they not are. students. They're yes. kind of stuck in the middle, which is really unfortunate for them, really, that they're stuck in the middle. So who looks after them? So, which is why we have this office. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, I mean, I'm hoping 
to continue the great work that uh, Nina Hathaway, uh, the permanent coordinator, has been doing to kind of support this, as you say, this unique group Mm -hmm. who are researchers, but not quite permanent yet. So trying to help them navigate employment and future opportunities and and what they're looking for what what types of development they want to work on so trying to make Mm -hmm. sure that I can support those endeavors and make sure that they are getting the most out of their time here at Queen's which is usually you know only one to three years it's not a it's not a long time so well you've done a lot (laughs) for the time that you've been here did you say you've been at Queen's for Eight, eight years, eight, eight years. nine, something yeah. like that. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. So in that time, you've done an awful lot to help your, apart from getting your three degrees here, you've also done a lot for your own personal and professional development. Do you say it was well spent, your eight years? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I can so. you yeah. this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm quite happy. I mean, of course, there were ups and downs like all graduate degrees especially during COVID Yes, (laughs) (laughs) but overall I'm quite happy and I I think the extracurriculars really supported a positive experience because it helped it helped me to at least contextualize my work outside of just my department or just outside of my like niche little scholarly world so it helped put some perspective on things which I think was helpful in in maintaining my sanity (laughs) (laughs) throughout some of the harder parts of the the (laughs) dissertation (laughs) I love that well that's probably a good note to end on Katie Marie thank you again for coming back to talk about the other side of what you did while you were at Queen's and it's been fascinating and it just goes to show with a bit of strategy you can sort of work a few things out along the way other than just getting your degree so thank you again for coming on a second time oh, well, actually a third for... time because you did one as you said in your masters you came on <laughs> on the show thank you for having me again <laughs> uh, no worries so that's it everyone another week of grad chat sadly comes to an end don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either itunes google podcast spotify and cfrc podcast just type in a grad chat until next week This is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.